Hey everybody, welcome to the 235 Film Podcast. My name's Wow, And I'm Brant. And we're friends from college and now living over a thousand miles apart, but we've kept up with each other through our love for cinema. Each season of this podcast, we're going to be focusing on different topics, be it filmmakers, cinematographers, film composers, or genres. That's right. And this season, we're tackling Denny Villeneuve's filmography. Brant, what are we talking about today? In today's episode, Wow and I have a passionate conversation about one of our favorite films of all time, Arrival, the 2016 sci-fi thriller that focuses on humanity bridging the gap in communication between them and an alien race. So let's jump right into the conversation. All right, we back. Here we are. Here we are. Brent and JWoww bringing you the news. <laughs> the news having to do with <laughs> arrival. <laughs> arrival news. Alien news. Uh-huh. How's it going, dude? It's a little early in the morning. Um, Again, yeah, it's the yeah. second episode or third. I don't know. I don't even know which one. But third ep in a row where we're recording early morning. Yeah, they might hire us for Good Morning America at this rate. <laughs> How are you doing, man? How was your week? Good. Week was good. Week was good. That's awesome. Yeah, I've cultivated a garden in my backyard, <laughs> so I've got a lot of tomatoes and peppers just growing. I think they've grown four, four to six inches this week. Oh, hey, look at that. Yep, for all of our Sitting listeners involved. Growth spurt. Hopefully you stay on the show long enough to hear that they're producing fruit. So <laughs> What about you, dude? Uh yeah, you know, it's been a it's been a good good week. Finished uh finished uh, defending Jacob last night. Nice. Have you watched that? Uh first two episodes. I haven't watched any further though. Oh yeah, because you don't want to, or because you don't like it, or like what? What is it? No, we do. It's a that that's one that my wife would call dark and heavy, and mm. we get about one hour time uh, slot a week of dark and heavy. I see. So I've really got a. We we started watching Criminal UK also, uh-huh. and that one I guess she doesn't consider dark and heavy because we watched <laughs> all of it in one <laughs> night. <laughs> But, I mean, I guess when you think about it, the subject matter in Defending Jacob is probably a little heavier. And Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So we're watching, yeah. oh, well, we watched Arrival, I guess. So we're talking about Arrival here. Yeah. This is uh, our fourth Villeneuve film, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, just so you know and our listeners, um, <laughs> I listened to a director's <laughs> cut with the name Villeneuve today, and we've pronounced it right since episode two. So, oh yeah, nice. <laughs> I think we're, I think we're on the right track here. <laughs> yeah, so here we are talking about Arrival. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen the film yet, we're gonna have spoilers for sure. Oh yeah. Um, so if you want, hit the pause, jump onto whatever platform has it, watch it, and come back and join us, and we'd love that. Yep. Otherwise, we're gonna dive straight into the meat. <laughs> the meat. So where do you, where do you want to start? Uh, we should probably give a synopsis. Okay. Do you have one in front of you, or do you no. want to just go off your head? No, I mean briefly, it's <laughs> uh, Amy Adams' character is a distinguished linguist, and right. visitors from out of Earth come to Earth, and she's recruited by the military to communicate with them. Right. And then from there, we just see the story unfold. Yeah. So what do you think, dude? Where should we jump in? Um. Why don't we just go right from the beginning? Let's do it. Yeah. So the right off the bat, it starts off with this little montage of clips with her and what we assume to be her daughter, Hannah. And uh, Hannah from like as of being a baby to dying of some 
rare disease. Yeah, that's like terminal really, illness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not. They don't really tell us what disease it was, but um, the the sound, the song that's on that that little montage, it's actually kind of like it kind of bookends yeah. the the movie really because it starts with the song and ends with the song. Uh, Max it's actually uh, Nature of Daylight. If anyone's yeah. wondering. So, which is interesting because. Uh, Johan Johansson is the one that actually did the score for this film. So this was definitely something that like Denny Villeneuve wanted this yeah. specific song in the film. So you know, um, the Nature of Daylight is also in Shutter Island, and that's not the. I mean, the composer was not <laughs> Max Richter. Right. Yeah. 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 I was gonna say that. So so this song was actually a part of an album that Max Richter released in two thousand and four. Um, and this film came out in 2016. So, I mean, for, and it has been in, in a couple different films. Yeah, I was actually handful. looking into it. Yeah. There's, there's been like maybe five or six films with this, uh, song in it. <clears throat> so it's interesting that people are really using this film. I actually never heard this song until I watched Shutter Island and it's been like one of my favorites ever right. since. It's just such a emotionally, uh, yeah. built song, you know? Yeah. I was going to say it. I, I feel like every, uh, scene that I see that uses that track, it, it's trying to convey the same sense of like strong emotional despair or sadness, you know? Right. But I think, I, I think the song gets used so much because of like just how, how heavy the song is itself. Like it, it just has so much emotion in the song itself. Right. That if you add, if you put any image to this song, it, you'll it's have some, some sort of, exactly. So I feel like this song probably is like an easy way out. It's almost like a cheat you know, into like getting that emotion out of the viewer. But I don't believe that, <clears throat> I don't believe that this film does it in a cheap way. You know, Shutter Island, I think probably uses it better than this uh, just because it really hits an emotional moment in the, in the film, like right. where you've already kind of gone along with the character for a little while right? before that kind of like hits, uh, hits and sinks in. Um, here it just kind of grabs you right in the fr beginning of the movie, yeah. which I already knew the song really well before the, I watched the film. And when <laughs> I watched it in theaters, I, the, those first few notes, you, I, you already know what you're in for. And I was like, Oh my God, what is yeah. happening? <laughs> like, yeah. I actually had no clue what this movie was about when I first watched it. Um, I remember the day I watched it, I watched it, it was the last showing of the day, so I think it started around midnight or a little before midnight, but I had worked like the entire day before that, and I had gone to like some friend's house to hang out with them. And on my way home, I just happened to be driving by the cinema and looked it up on the on my phone to see like if there was anything out, and I had heard of Arrival, I don't remember how. Amazing. So I, I went and watched it, I was exhausted. So by the end of the film, I wasn't completely sure what I had watched, <laughs> but I knew that it was something that I needed to watch again because it was like, it was one of those films that like I could tell it was like absolutely incredible, but I was having a hard time following just because how, how exhausted I was. So sure. literally I walked out of the theater at like, I don't know, 2 a.m. almost. And I immediately bought tickets for like the first showing the next day, <laughs> went oh home, gosh. took under like a nap and then went back to the theater in the morning. Amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. a life to live. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, I feel like Arrival is one of those films that I wish I could, uh, you know, watch for the first time again. For sure. When I was yeah. watching it the other night, that's exactly what I felt. And off of that, I, I did feel like that a little bit because like I was saying earlier, the, the, the first time I watched this film was during award season. So it would have been beginning of year 2017. Right. And then I watched it again 
two nights ago. So wait, seen, so this is your second viewing? Yeah. Oh wow. And uh, going into it, I knew that there was some sort of like I knew that the director had construed time for us in some way, and I, I remember that being part of the plot, but I don't mm-hmm. remember how. So I feel like watching mm-hmm. the film and then the last ten minutes was just as impactful for me yeah. two nights ago as it was the first time. Because yeah, I, I can imagine, dude. This is such a wonderfully crafted movie. Oh yeah. It is I agree. so like it is so well done. Yeah. I think I think the word that I keep coming back to is like it's 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 very elegant. Yeah. In a lot of different ways. Like the edit is very elegant, the score is very elegant, everything just seems very elegant, even though it's a sci-fi. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like uh nitty gritty right. uh, as much as like a lot of sci-fi's feel. Uh, no, no flash from the yeah. spaceships and, and aliens. Yeah. Everything is so organic and natural. Like everything feels as though it's part of the, the planet that it comes from, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, um, oh, go ahead. No, well, I was going to uh, trail off now when we started talking about spaceships. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I was going to talk about how they journeyed from the base up into the shell, they call it the spaceship. Yeah. And um, that like room that chamber that they're in when they're communicating with the aliens Abbott and Costello mm-hmm. is what the the yeah. film's director gives them names of uh-huh. um, or Ian I, Ian gives them the name right 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 <laughs> I uh I was watching a video today yeah about the production of the film mm-hmm. and uh Villeneuve was saying that that chamber that they're in mm-hmm. was built like they had that entire room built out Instead of using green screen at a certain point back, right. they built out that entire space and lit it as though it was. So the only the only animated part is where the, the aliens, aliens are. Yeah, which I thought was pretty pretty unique. He said that um, he was talking about how uh, animation wouldn't have been able to accomplish the like texture and feel of that like organic. Back to what I was talking about mm-hmm. that like sci-fi organic extraterrestrial like construction so they built it out and he said it it also led him to believe that the actors and the and the people who are portraying the message on screen would be able to feel more mm-hmm. of the scene if they were actually in like yeah. a physical space then he started talking about how like a third of the budget went to making oh my <laughs> to, gosh to making that room yeah <laughs> yeah but obviously it was worth it yeah <laughs> I, I when you said um spaceship it reminded me of i was listening to a podcast a couple uh weeks ago what was the name of the pot let me try to look it up real quick while i explain what was going on um it was a podcast about uh, uh, somebody interviewing the scriptwriter for the movie. Oh yeah, and, uh, and Dan how Levine? like I'm sorry, I think his name's Dan Levine. Is that right? I can't remember it right now. Um, so this movie was uh, adapted from a short story. I think the guy's name was Ted Chang or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so in the short story, there's a there's a lot of differences in the short from the short story to the script, and uh, one of the main differences was that the gift that the aliens are giving at the end, or the weapon, or whatever you want to call it, um, in the script originally was go- well. Actually, I don't remember now if this was in the in the story, but in the script, um, the the gift was supposed to be blueprints for an interstellar arc of sorts. <laughs> Really? And Interstellar came out like a year before that, and 
the script writer and Villeneuve were like, no, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so they just stuck to the language uh, uh, aspect of it, which I think probably works better. I think this is a better um, story. I do too. I, uh, I, I found out about the story of your life is what the short story is called um, yeah. two or three nights ago when I watched this. Uh-huh. And much like your first experience with Arrival, I was watching this three nights ago at like... <laughs> 2 a.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I uh, I was watching it and then I was reading about it at the same time and mm-hmm. uh, I like dove into the story of your life a little bit. Oh, you got you found it online? Yeah, there's a a big chunk of it on Wikipedia. Oh, that's interesting. You go to that like short stories page. You can like uh-huh. read it a little. The differences are marked, but like you're saying, I feel like the like having the and that might be because I saw the film already before I read the short story but mm-hmm. like the feel that I get from the film versus the short story which it could also be that it's just a literary piece instead of yeah like images conveying a message you know but right. the short story just feels so like structured and straightforward and a little bit more sci-fi than this film does where it's not mm. as like with all of his movies I feel like they border the line of genres you know like yeah I, Arrival is sci-fi, but it's also like discovery. Like it's also self-discovery and like decision making and like seeing into someone's like perspective on life. Right. I just find it so unique in that way because we look at our previous movie also like uh, Sicario Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily an action film as much as it was like. You know, I wouldn't even call it a political drama. It was more of a no, yeah, self discovery movie. Right, I agree. I uh, it's funny that you say that because in my notes, as I was watching the film, I wrote down I f- I find it unique that a story about aliens coming to Earth, all the conflict in the film comes from humans. Right. You know, they're afraid of the unknown, but they're basing all of their fears off of what they do know about humans. And I put I E an example like that that quote when he says, "Grab a history book." Like they're basing off of like their fear of their fear right. of the aliens. They're basing it all off of like fears that they know that humans, what humans are capable of doing, you right. know, because yeah. in fact, the aliens never, you know, did anything vi- in violent nature, never were aggressive in any sort of way. So there's like no reason to fear them or they've given them no reasons to fear them. But here they are, you know, yeah, creating all like this conflict it comes from from humans themselves well yeah and then we see in the film the 12 spots in the beginning are together and then a conflict arises between them and then they've turned on each other you know it's not even Mm -hmm. like back to that it's it's humanity that turns their back on each other and the right aliens are still there saving lives well yeah that's that's kind of to heart back on what you were talking about sci-fi like uh, or rather how he can like merge uh genres i feel like this is the best kind of sci-fi like it's not just aliens and action and fun and Mm -hmm. shooting or whatever it's like at the center it's a story about like humanity and how like we can communicate and and so on you know what i mean like yeah i feel like the the center theme has got to be communication yeah i may be wrong i mean it could i guess you can say part uh, grief may be a part of it or something like that or um suffering i don't know but i think like the theme is in um when she gets in a helicopter to go to is it montana i can't remember yeah montana thing was, yeah and she meets ian for the first time she puts on her that the headphones and and he says uh he's reading like her own book right <laughs> and he says language is the first weapon drawn in the conflict 
I feel like that kind of like centers the entire um, story. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a unique approach, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I very l- effective. I feel like the yeah. filmmaking. The, yeah. The choices made. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I read somewhere that um, one of the, the you may know this better because you read part of the story. I didn't, uh, but I read that um, the short story was um, it came from a perspective like it started with the per- perspective that Luis is already aware of like how she can see the future or she can see time as long nonlinear. She can see the future in the past and like almost in a sort of memories kind of way and that she's exposed in the short story she's explaining to the daughter or something like that about what's going on or how she came to be or something like that. But like, there is no sort of like, um, discovery for the audience or for the person who's reading the story. Um, the sense of discovery about like, Oh my God, wow. She can see like, you know, the sense of discovery of what the language is doing to her. Like, uh, unlike the film, like the, so like in that podcast I was listening to, um, he mentions that he needed to change. He went to the the the, the original story's uh, author and told him that, like, for the film, he couldn't do it that way. Like, the structure couldn't be that way. He mm-hmm. had to start the film with this um, sense of um, the like nobody knows what's going on, and and she like perceives these memories, not really understanding what's going on. And we don't really understand what's going on as the audience either, right. you know. Um, I mean, well, we we assume that it's memories, right? But because we assume that in the beginning her daughter dies, right, and she's already living what seems to be such a uh, like a heavy grief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but, which is interesting. How like I guess this goes for any film, but it's it's interesting how we as the audience can. Um, put that perspective on the character although like if if that montage in the beginning wasn't there and it just started with her like getting to the school absolutely she would just look like a bland character that's like kind of like a off of that like this is the perfect segue to this i i was reading about how this 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 film and in communication like you're talking about is about Mm -hmm. uh like um uh, intelligent learning uh, of new cultures and things like that um, to come to an understanding. And the article that I was reading was talking about how us as humanity and our perspective of color is something that is developed after uh, vocabulary is developed right. because right. we can see green and all greens are green until someone Before starts to tell us that green. other greens. Yeah. I think it's so interesting that that you say that because I feel that way about that that montage in the beginning. Would we have ever thought that that Luis's life was heavy if we hadn't seen that montage? You know, yeah, like exactly. like that that strained perspective in our mind as viewers and. This film does that so well, I feel so like. Well. Yeah. In order to accomplish that that memento-esque timeline that he's going mm-hmm. for, yeah. perfect execution in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, if we're talking about, like, you know, execution of the story and all that, I, I have to, like, harp back to this moment in the film where Ian is in her bedroom and he's talking to her about dreams and it turns out to be like a dream sequence right right and um he's he mentions like um have you started dreaming in their language yet or whatever so apparently in the edit when they were editing which took six months to edit this film which to me sounds like a lot (laughs) is it but 
I, I I feel like it sounds like a lot to me because nowadays I feel like films start production, start filming, and then they come out like in eight months. So it just seems like a lot for like the edit to take six months. Um, but I it, it makes sense when you're talking about a nonlinear story like this um but there that scene the dream sequence they so for example going back to that you know that montage in the middle of the film when they're kind of explaining the the heptapods um what the heptop like what they named them like the heptapod they explain what that word means they explain like the language how they came to like understand the language a little better you know that little three minute montage where where she's narrating it ian's the one narrating yeah yep yep yeah and so like I, first off, I think that that whole sequence is done very well. Like the montage is done very clearly. Um, like, but originally the script called for these to be individual scenes. So it was like really long exposition and all that stuff. And I'm glad that they did this montage because not only does that not only is it done really clearly and really effectively, but also I feel like the ex- so much exposition, so many like like individual scenes for these individual moments i feel like that exposition would have gotten in the way of the story absolutely yeah so i'm glad they did that and i think they did it very well yeah but if we go back to that dream scene they in the edit they they were going to do the same thing to that one and they just couldn't find a way to effectively cut it down or make it like a quick thing because in that moment they're talking about um the wardoff some kind of thing, which is basically saying that like when you start learning a language, it rewires your brain. So they wanted, they, they originally were going to cut that scene out because it just was too long and too much exposition. Um, because they couldn't find an effective way of cutting it, but they realized that they couldn't cut it out completely because of that bit of exposition that they need to kind of complete the film. Right. Yeah. So they decided to aggressively cut it down and in their aggressive cutting, they came to the scene where Ian's talking and then it cuts from Ian, like a shot of Ian to another shot of Ian. So it became like very jarring because it was a, it was a different shot and a different uh, angle, but like it just became very jarring. And they decided that like, this isn't, this isn't going to work until I don't remember if it was the editor or if it was Denny Villeneuve who decided this might work if it's a dream sequence. So originally that was like a scene that happened in real life where it was actually Ian and uh, Luis and Colonel um, Weber were all in that room together. And when she delivers the line of, I've only dreamed, I've only had a couple dreams, and she looks over and we, it cuts to the alien, yeah, the heptopod. In that scene, it was actually her delivering that line to Colonel Weber. But they felt like to make the make it a, a complete dream sequence where you like you know it's a dream and there's that jarring moment the cut the jump cut plus the heptapod having the heptapod there would like make it a dream where she like wakes up from that dream right so they just digitally removed no. or replaced <laughs> put the alien in his place yeah they digitally replaced Force Whitaker and put, put the heptapod there <laughs> which is such a clever like piece of editing like that's I completely so clever agree. yeah. <laughs> Oh, when I when I when I learned about that, I was like, "That's freaking awesome! Yeah, that's great! That is awesome!" Because like they probably would have had to done done like some kind of reshoot or something for that scene, right? And How they cool just is saved that? so much time and money just doing that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah, super super cool. I I also thought it was interesting. The more and more I was watching, as I was watching, like I kept thinking of these moments where she has these flash 
forwards, I guess, as more like memories of the future. Right. But like it gets to a point where I don't know that it's necessarily her remembering the future or more like her living it in real time. So it's almost like a sense of um, like a split time. reality. Type it's thing. almost like a time travel thing, but yeah. she's not really time traveling. She's just like it's nonlinear. So she's kind of almost like living through every moment whenever she thinks of it she's living that moment at that moment because for example that scene where her daughter comes up to her and asks her asks her um the term for uh when people are in a conflict and and she says it's win-win and then she says no a more scientific term and then she says oh if you want science science you got to talk to your dad and then she comes back to like her present time and she's talking in the group with the board or whoever, all these people. And her dad mentions, uh, I think it was like non, non-linear game or non, non-zero uh, game non or something zero like that. I don't remember. I don't non remember what. Some game. There you go. That. Yeah. So <laughs> he mentions that. And in the moment that he mentions that in the present, she like jumps back to the yeah. future and mentions it. So I was like, is she just remembering that or is she like, because she only knows that from her present, but she didn't know that from her present in the future when her uh, daughter asked her until he mentioned it. And then she was it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It, then she says that line about how she was remembering her husband. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. So yeah. When he, when uh, she comes out of the, out of the ship for the last time yeah that she says uh i just remembered why my husband left me i wonder i wonder at what at what point but at that point she didn't even know that he was her husband right i don't uh, think i wonder at what point for her like you're saying in the short story she had this understanding of the mm-hmm. fact that she could see time you know sometimes sometimes in like exposition of time stories like this, that mm-hmm. is the case to where like right now in an alternate reality or whatever, mm-hmm. this person is doing this, you know, like, yeah. But, uh, I wonder at what point in the film that she realized what that scenario was. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think she was more confused about like, who, cause uh, there's that scene right before, um, uh, when she goes up to the ship for the last time and she mentions who is this girl? Like she has no clue what that is until I think I think she only really realizes it she may have like had some notion of maybe what's going on but she wasn't sure until that the the heptapod like that told, told her yeah that she sees like she sees the future like Louise sees the future right which is funny how the heptapod like conveys language where it's yeah. like uh what was it Abbott is in death process yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's funny. It almost sounds like broken English, but, but it, it works out. Cause I think it's, I think they mention it that like, I think it was called like a seismograph or seism, I don't know, seismograph language. It conveys like meaning, not sound or something like that. Right, 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 right. So it's really interesting how that that's super interesting. Like that whole concept of a language, like a written language uh, conveying meaning and not sound. Like that's totally not how English is at all. Well, <laughs> Yeah, but at its core, English is about conveying emotion and and feeling and not like, I mean, you could say three different things in English that are the same, but mean three different things. You know what I mean? Right. But I'm saying like in the way that they describe it in the film is that the written, their written language, it's not really readable. Like oh. they say that like the written language doesn't sound like what they actually speak. So it's almost like they're speaking two languages, a written form of it and a a speaking version of it. But I they're see. not necessarily the same. Like the written language really conveys the meaning behind what they're trying to say and not the actual words that they're speaking. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
like Asian yeah. languages kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was gonna say. I see. Like which I can't like wrap my head around really. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't I've never talked spoken a language like, like that. Right. But yeah, that's so interesting to me. It's two languages really when you think about it. Yeah. Because you exactly. have to be able to read and you exactly. have to be able to because like Portuguese, for instance, is like you can read it and, and piece together pronunciation. Right. It's like English. Right. In the sense that like the what you're reading is how you pronounce it. Like the pronunciations are all in the written form. Obviously, each individual word may have meanings and different meanings right. and things like that. But when you convey it all together, it creates one meaning. So, yeah, it's like English in that sense. But, yeah, those kind of languages are so interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that was kind of random. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> the other point that I was uh, mentioning with, with her, maybe not remembering the future, but more like jumping into it. Yeah. Is like um, when she has that flash forward or whatever of her meeting, uh, what's his name? General Shang, I think. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And he's like, the only reason I came here was to meet you, not for like this whole honorary thing. But um, he mentions that like, he, like she called him on his personal number, and she's like, "How could I have called you on my on your personal number? Like I don't know that number." And he shows it to her. Like so, in that moment, she didn't even know. In that moment, she even asked, like, "So I called you." Like so, she didn't even know that she called him. Right. In the future, she didn't know that in the in her past or in her present, she called him. So I don't. That's why I think it like more solidifies the fact that she. She's not remembering the future. She's like living it simultaneously at the same time. Right. And gaining information from each moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she gains the information of his personal number and then calls it in the present without in the future knowing that she had even done that to begin with. So it's super trippy because like his in his future, she had done that. Right. But in her future, she had it. Right. So it's so trippy. <laughs> that is trippy. There's some like um, there's a specific film that lays this out for me the way I'm trying to think about it. But uh -huh. it's where you can like the main character has the ability to see the future, but also has the ability to like visit or communicate in their mind to the mm -hmm. future. You know what I mean? So like, OK, like because because she has the ability to see the future kind of inception in a way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like how an inception you're entering into someone's subconscious and you have yeah, the ability yeah. to manipulate or mm -hmm. to like interact with that person's subconscious. It's yeah. like, it's like she could visit the future and in that future, like came up with this concept that general Chang came into the room and showed her his phone right. number. But in her subconscious, she wouldn't really know that that number was right. You know what I mean? Right, so it's exactly. Kind of but in an actual future yeah. where we live on an earth as humans in social <laughs> interaction, yeah. that would not be a real right. scenario that happened. Right, 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 right. So I feel like she has the ability to like manipulate scenarios because what what they're saying to her when they when they laid out that whole thing with the billions of you know, heptopod signs, uh -huh. um, was that she has the ability to see time in a nonlinear sense, which means she mm -hmm. would also have the ability to see different possible outcomes to scenarios. Well, I don't know, but here's a, here's a thought. Um, in the original, in the, in the original story, I, I heard this in that podcast as well, the, the, where the screenwriter was talking about writing this, he, um, 
which uh, I found the name, by the way, the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith. So he so Jeff Goldsmith interviews this dude, which I can't remember his name right now. Um, But in that in that podcast, he talks about how in the original story, the short story, um, her daughter, for example, to give you an example on what you're talking about, her daughter in the original story uh, doesn't die of a rare disease. Her daughter instead dies in a rock climbing accident. Mm -hmm. And I think she was like in her 20s, in the mid 20s or late 20s when she died. So the, the script writer was like, okay, well, first off, she can't be in her 20s because that would mean that Amy Adams would have to have like some kind of prosthetics to make her look older. Right. So in those in those flash forward in that that montage in the beginning where the audience is being led to believe that this was in her past, if she's wearing prosthetics there, it would kind of throw off the whole thing. Right. And we would kind of make maybe start connecting the dots that this may be their future instead. Right. So they eliminated the fact that she's she dies in her 20s and she, she instead dies in like her teens or something like that. Um, and the script writer was like went to the author and said, I can't make her die of a rock climbing accident because that doesn't make sense. Like if she dies of a rock climbing accident, then it's not as efficient. The story where Luis like Luis chooses to have her. Hannah, despite knowing that she's going to lose her. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But if she dies of a rock climbing accident, then Luis may choose to have Hannah, but try to change her future. I see. I see. And be like, no, you're not allowed to rock climb, you know? Right. So he changes it to the uh, rare disease, incurable disease or whatever instead. So in that sense, if the script writer wanted to change it to that so that she wouldn't have any way to change her future then can she choose change her future then well another thing based off of this uh book like not mm-hmm. the book but the short story um, yeah was the author in that article that i read was saying that the heptapods were designed in a way where they see uh time as a short story like mm. like they they see time as a scripted out uh, like play in a sense to where they can see the end and they can see the beginning and every event that's going to happen in between, but not necessarily mm-hmm. like, I guess that goes back to what I was saying about alternate like outcomes. Mm-hmm. What, what he was saying was that these, these aliens are designed in a way to where they just see life from beginning to end and they see yeah. like choices that people will make and, the outcomes of those choices and mm-hmm. life is laid out already. They can just see it all. Well, I think this is me speculating, but I think that the, this language only allows them to see the future in their perspective timelines. Oh, so only to the end of their life. To the, yeah, exactly. I because see. I feel like if if you if you really start like really diving into it, right, and getting really <laughs> intellectual, if you want to say, <laughs> like, why are these aliens only coming now? If they knew about this future three thousand years from now, why wouldn't they come earlier? You know, or earlier in uh, humanity's history. And teach them this language from the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, but maybe, maybe they, maybe they needed Luis, and maybe Luis was at the, at the. Maybe they came, they came for her. And yeah, that might be possible too. At this point in her life, she's at like the tipping point, in a sense, because yeah, that may, that may be possible. Hey, what did you think about? Uh, one thing I really appreciated was the difference in cinematography from the film and the like the flash forwards. Oh yeah. Okay. So first off, the flash forwards always seem very uh, shallowed up the field, very macro. 
I love oh it. Oh my gosh. Do you know how hard it is to get something uh, like in, in a shot like that to get it so crisp? Absolutely. Because it looks so good. Dude, it's very Terrence Malick-esque in my mind. It, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel that. I feel that. I also think it's interesting how, because this was Bradford Young, which I think this is the first film that I actually recognized like wanted to know who like who Bradford Young was. Right. He also did uh, Solo, which wasn't yeah. a, the greatest film, but it was shot beautifully. <laughs> um, a most violent year. Yeah. And then uh-huh. Ain't Them Body Saints. Ain't Them Body Saints. Dude, yeah. You know Ain't Them Body Saints? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me tell you a fun <laughs> little story about that movie. Tell me. <laughs> that was filmed in my hometown. Shut up. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't Them Body Saints. It was filmed in my hometown, Vivian, Louisiana, along with Steven Spielberg or uh, Stephen King's *The Mist*. Uh, the film that get came out, out in, uh, Get out of I'm here! I'm serious. I won't. I won't get out. And uh, fun story. Yeah. Since Stephen King's *The Mist* was filmed in my hometown, uh, uh, is a supermarket still there? Yep. They changed the name of the supermarket for the the film, and then uh-huh. shortly after that, the supermarket went out of business. Oh but no! The building is still the building still there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, fun fun little goof uh in the mist <laughs> tell me more i'm talking about this <laughs> tell me more Fun i love thomas jane yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and grocery stores two of my favorite things um uh, when the fire truck drives by in the mist right after uh like the actual mist come down and uh-huh. everybody in the grocery store is like looking out the window and you can still kind of uh-huh. see it. The fire truck that drives by didn't have the name changed on it. So it says Caddo Parish <laughs> Fire <laughs> Department. That's so funny. That's my <laughs> parish. Yeah. Anyway, so ain't them body saints. So uh, all, all I'm trying to say is Bradford Young, uh, um, mm-hmm. we had a very close encounter at one point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Solo was also filmed in my hometown, but I didn't want to like drop any big names. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's a joke. But everything else is true. I think it's so. Int- I think I'm pretty sure this is the first time that Bradford Young worked with Denny Villeneuve. I actually think that this is Denny Villeneuve like totally changing. Other than maybe like his closest. Um, peers I this is like a whole new crew for him like he's never worked with any of these actors before he's never worked with the cinematographer like I think he's worked with Johan Johansson before right but like you know it's it's like he's just like it's almost it seems like he's challenging himself he's trying to challenge himself to do something new and out of the box trying to get out of his like old routine kind of thing yeah the only that's really that's really uh I feel I find that very very good for a director to be pushing himself like that yeah production design uh, mm. Is the same across the board. Yeah. So uh, Patrice Ver- Vermette is her name, and she did Sicario, Prisoners, Enemy, oh, okay. and uh, Arrival, which I find really unique. I mean, I think I think if you're trying to maintain the same feel, but you know, want a different perspective, like different cinematographer mm-hmm. and different, you know, whatever. The production designer is the best person to keep by your side, you know. I think uh, the editor as well. The editor was the same from Sicario. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing I really appreciated about this movie is how often the subject is center frame. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But okay, yeah. So I I meant to say this um, in that other than that. So that, yeah, you were right that the montage, the especially the flash forwards with the daughter. Um, are very macro, very shallow depth of field, and then uh, what I also found very interesting is uh, Bradford Young was had a has uh, Bradford Young was very 
expertly able to convey the sense of like loneliness. Yeah. From uh, Amy Adams' character Louise in the beginning of the film, like there's a lot of wide shots, a lot of like a sense of like her in the center frame, like yeah. walking through. Um, different things or even just like her in her home it's just like a very like wide shot open like just a, a, again we don't really know why she is the way she is in the beginning of the film we thought it was grief but like it's not obviously um but we don't know what it is but whatever it is the sense of like loneliness i think it is loneliness because yeah. even in the film later on yeah. you see um ian mentioning that like that's what i was just about to say how he he's single or no wonder he's single and she said well communication doesn't help her singleness right. either or whatever like, you know uh, so he was like he was like uh oh all this information about communication and like i'm still single <laughs> no wonder i'm single <laughs> yeah. or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he goes uh, uh or she goes yeah you can know everything about communication and still be single and still be single yeah. exactly yeah so i think it is that sense of like loneliness yeah, where she just doesn't feel like she belongs or something. Hey, it's really interesting that you say that because I haven't thought about that until now. And maybe that's just like a lack of thinking on my part. But the fact that like subject center frame does really make you Mm -hmm. feel like that person's an island. Like it really conveys that sense of alone. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Introspective. Uh, s- cinematography, <laughs> don't you think? I, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, but I wanted to get into a few funny things because, uh, first of all, like I didn't know Kangaroo meant that. It doesn't. She turned around. <laughs> and said, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was so funny. Um, the other thing is that, like, I, I always thought that for some reason, I don't know why. Maybe it was because I was exhausted the first time I watched it, and the second time, maybe I was too memorized to like realize that those were the actual aliens. But I thought those were their hands, oh, like <laughs> some massive gorilla behind that glass, and you're yeah, just exactly. seeing exactly. He's like a huge giant oh my in gosh. that shell. One thing I find super interesting, and I don't know why. They did this, but like, I find it really unique that they only showed like a third of the heptopods. Yeah, inside of that room, they only see their the bottom third. I don't know. I don't know. I, but I would like, love it's, it's like I don't know. Where's the face though? We never see any eyes. We don't see yeah, a mouth. You know what I mean? But did you see how hard the I the cinematographer really tried hard mm. to like convey that that space right above their tentacles or whatever was was like showing expression right yeah i i noticed the same thing like at like they didn't have a face or anything like that but yeah like i'm looking at a photo from the film right now and it's like focused on that indentation right above their center tentacle right. now this is something but I then put again a lot of thought into their center tentacle you- <laughs> <laughs> right above their center tentacle there's a bridge line almost like a nose and then some uh, diagonal indentations right above that almost as if they have eyebrows and <laughs> below those eyebrows was this uh, 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 like was this motion action? Like, was there an actor here playing these heptopods? Because I don't, these I don't facial believe expressions so. are transparent. <laughs> yeah, it's probably Andy Serkis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to check. Let's we'll check on that. We're gonna do a fact check on Andy Serkis, and we'll be back in next episode to let you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. What I, I I think this is probably in my top. Mm, I probably my top two of his for Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm kind of 
uncertain. I'm 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 not sure whether to pull the trigger on this one being number one or Incendies for me at this moment. Oh really? You really liked Incendies? Yeah. Which has changed a lot because like two about two months ago I did this thing on Instagram where I kind of was rating directors like films for directors and when it came to Denny Villeneuve I'm pretty sure I put Prisoners as number one. You did. Yeah, and I put uh, Arrival number two, yep. and I hadn't watched Incendies at that point, but I think... Sicario got number three, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, something like that. But I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Incendies is my number one as far as, like, story and, and conveying the emotion that I got out of that film. Um, that probably takes the, takes the bait for me uh, as far as number one, and I think Arrival number two, just because it's such a well crafted film and story it's so elegant so well crafted very very clever where it needs to be but still like conveys all that emotion that, it, that it's trying to convey um i i think i had put prisoners as number one because i felt like prisoners had more emotion but maybe if i think back now prisoners might have been um as far as like emotion i think i was getting most of that emotion from hugh jackman's character but really he was only portraying that emotion in one in one dimension you know right Whereas this film, I feel like, has more dimensions yeah. and more character emotion, like, from from different areas, coming from different places as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I probably rank this one as number two with Incendies number one, which we'll talk about Incendies in the next—not the next episode, but after that, I think. Yeah, I think so. We'll probably do. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think having watched them all like this, I, I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day. I think this is the first time, which I'm glad to have had this experience, to watch— a director's filmography from beginning to end. Oh yeah. Like in such close succession, like yeah, I, yeah, I, I've yeah. seen all of this stuff before. Yeah. Like except for incendies, I've seen all of this stuff before, but to like see them so close like this to mm-hmm. each other, I, I feel like it's just such insight. So like, yeah, I think arrival was probably my number one. And the reason why is it takes a lot for me to like be actively like sucked into mm-hmm. what's happening from mm-hmm. beginning to end of a two hour movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like I feel like because of the depth of emotion that this film was conveying, like you're saying, I felt so connected. Like I felt I felt like I was connected through the whole thing. Right. So I think uh Arrival is gonna take my first spot. I think think prisoners would probably be number two for me and then incendies a close third oh wow i i would have assumed that blade runner would have been in your top three for sure dude here's the thing just like with wes anderson stuff everything is so close to the top you know <laughs> yeah, what i mean yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all so good <laughs> i mean sicario would be my last spot yeah i just think that after seeing all of them now, Sicario is at the bottom, and that's how I feel about Wes Anderson. I don't know, man. Maybe some of his earlier work. Maybe next week when we talk about Blade Runner, will you'll rearrange that list? Maybe I will. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Blade Runner's a tough one because it's not just like I'm sure somebody would say the same thing if they were like passionately engaged to the story of your life, a short mm-hmm. story by Ted yeah. Chiang. That <laughs> okay, <laughs> that they would be like. 
you know, Arrival is good, but there's a lot of emotional value in the short story for me that I'm just not seeing here. You know what I mean? So like, I think if if we had some strong Blade Runner fans, they would be like, like Star Wars isn't incredible, but Star Wars Uh is incredible to Star Wars fans because Mm -hmm. they have so much more. Yeah. I mean, we should, you're walking on a thin wire here, bro. Thin wire, thin red line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's a masterpiece. Yeah, uh, I love Arrival. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of his best. Yeah, for sure. And he, I, I'm uh, who was it? I I read somewhere that Denis Villeneuve was rated as like the best director of the the 2010s. Did you know this? No, I didn't. But yeah, I can't remember who it was. But it, they, I think it was based off of like multiple uh, critics plus um, insight from like directors as well. Um, and he was rated as the best director of the 2010s, which makes sense because he hasn't made a no bad film he, in this decade. He dove straight into uh, feature length film, and it's all been amazing. Yeah. Straight gold, yeah, I agree. Uh, dude, good for him. Incendies with his four nom- nomination for the Oscars, and then Arrival got seven nominees. Oh yeah, insane. I mean, good for him. It's it's. I feel like it's very rare for a sci-fi film of this quality. Like, there's sci-fi films very like you know the way sci-fi films are since Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner was, um, kind of set paved the way for sci-fi. Yeah. And I feel like this sci-fi sci-fi film of this tier is totally different than that. And for a sci-fi like this to really get the acclaim it has gotten uh i feel like it's very very rare so i'm i'm, I'm excited to see what else he does i'm excited for next week with uh, blade runner i really am actually yeah. I, I only watched it when it came out in theaters so i'm excited to kind of rewatch it again this week and talk about it next week And that's the show. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We can't wait to have you next week as we talk about the 2017 sci-fi film Blade Runner 2049. We want you to join the conversation, so jump onto Instagram and Twitter and follow us at 2 underscore 35 media. We can't wait to have you here next week.